this is very exciting. Hi, and welcome to On and Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers. And I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. Today we're going to be talking about cannabis and cannabis beverages. And we have a special guest joining us, cannabis investor Carlton Fowler. That's right. Carlton is the co-founder and managing partner of Goat Rodeo Capital, a venture capital firm focused on the early stage investments in beverage alcohol, non-alcoholic drinks, and cannabis-centric brands. Welcome, Carlton, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Melissa and Kyle. Excited to talk about this. Absolutely. So a quick refresher for anybody who doesn't know, but CBD is short for cannabis oil, one of more than 100 compounds present in a cannabis plant. Uh, CBD oil is from the flowers, leaves, and stems of the plant, while hemp oil commonly comes from the seeds. Important to note, of course, is that neither is intoxicating in the way that uh, THC is. Uh, Carlton, what, what do you think is the biggest misconception about CBD right now? Um, well, I mean, I, I think misconceptions are really interesting word around CBD because the whole complex is still so much in its consumer education phase. Um, and like with any kind of new additive, I think you, you have some, you know, gray area or bad actors early on claiming that CBD is this wonder drug, that it fixes everything. Um, and it doesn't. And, and you kind of touched as well on, on the fact that it, that it is non-intoxicating. It's non, you know, what we would call psychoactive. Um, I, I, had, I had someone recently kind of use a turn of phrase, I'm going to steal. CBD tends to be a lot more about what you don't feel than what you do feel. Um, so, you know, for those that it works well for, you know, you, you feel less stress, you feel maybe le less inflammation, less tired, you know, le less loss of focus. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think as far as, as, far as challenges on, on how CBD becomes the star of the show, that kind of really encapsulates it. And we tend to really look at CBD as an ingredient, not an entire, not an entire pillar on which to build a brand. So how important then is the functionality of CBD beverages or products, you know, what they do for you? I mean, I mean it, it, I'm sorry to interrupt Carlton. We just, I just wrote a story on CBD beverages and that was the one word that uh, the CBD beverage producers said over and over again was functionality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it, it, it is a functional ingredient in the functional beverage category. And I think you need that, like that needs to be the focus. It's, it's, you know, not different from caffeine, not different from other vitamin ads. It, it, it makes it an aspect of a functional beverage, um, which if, if that's the only premise that you're building your brand and your positioning on, I think that that tends to be a pretty weak, you know, foundation for, for a brand build. Um, and that's, that's why CBD needs to be understood in conjunction um, with the more psychoactive THC beverages. Absolutely. And you, you had some thoughts about those uh, THC uh, psychoactive beverages and about how uh, those can uh, perhaps find more uh, acceptance as well. What, what, do you, what did you want to say about those? Well, I, I think it's more that, that both will find their, their right place in the ecosystem as, you know, as federal prohibition ends and more and more states approve. THC that will find its its own category and because it's psychoactive it can be a little bit more declarative on its effects and and, and, and work within a brand positioning. I think as the CBD market matures 
you know, it's, it's, it's going to come first, you know, you'll, you'll have the FDA probably make some kind of ruling on generally regarded as safe far before prohibition ends. And that, that will reinvigorate the category. But I think if you're taking the long-term view of the category, it will be a functional additive to beverages. There, there won't be a massive category of just CBD beverages. Yeah, I completely agree. And I want to talk a little bit more about the functionality. It seemed like there were a number of uh, functionality focuses that I keep seeing over and over again. One of them is, as you mentioned, uh, you know, sort of that relaxing sort of quality, a calming quality, anti-anxiety drink, let's call it. Uh, another one I saw quite a lot was caffeine paired with CBD. The idea being, of course, that it energizes, uh, you know, energizes your body while also relaxing your mind. And then there's also um, the sleep aid uh, version of it. Um, actually, I guess there's one more. I also saw it a lot in sort of just flavorless water drinks. It's kind of sort of like a uh, generic, healthier for you, um, active lifestyle kind of drink. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on these different uh, versions of functionality that we're seeing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I, I get a lot more excited about a potential brand when it tries to fundamentally, you know, act on and help with a higher order need, stress relief better sleep, you know, you know, uh, you know a, a different kind of focus, you know, if you do, if you combine CBD with caffeine, th those are the brands that tend to succeed really well when they're, they're communicating with consumers and saying, I, I fixed this problem in your life, not I'm a CBD drink. Um, and, you know, whereas THC, I think can be significantly more of a focus, at least early on in the stages of those beverages, like consumer journey on, I am psychoactive, and this is how. Um, I think on the CBD side, you're, you're, you're dealing with a, a lot more, you know, for successes, sophisticated branding that needs to, that needs to speak to a consumer need and not just tout an ingredient. So you think THC is going to become popular just kind of in and for itself? Oh, I mean, I mean, certainly I think, you know, you know, we're, we're obviously, I grew up in the beverage alcohol system. I'm a, you know, I'm a very big fan of, of, of branding and, and how extrinsic that category is. But I, th I think the consumer, especially the younger consumer, has clearly spoken. You know, there, there are all these trends towards low and no alcohol. Um, but that doesn't mean that the core, the core need of conviviality and, and, and having some kind of psychoactive effect, you know, in a social situation isn't necessary and beneficial. And I, I think THC drinks will, will, carve, will carve their position out there. I mean, one of the words we say a lot is share of buzz. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, th I think as consumers become... A little bit more agnostic of where that buzz is coming from it and better educated on, on what both THC and CBD can, can do that's where you'll see the THC drinks really start to take off again once federal prohibition ends right right now they're, they're really kind of encapsulated on a state-by-state -state basis depending on the state laws and we want to ask you about federal prohibition before we get there I had one more question I want to ask about the THC beverages and there's one trend I see you know we were talking earlier you're over on the west coast Liz and I over on the east coast uh, West Coast, so much farther ahead in terms of cannabis culture than we are on the East Coast. I'm always very jealous whenever I travel over the West Coast and I see how much more uh, accepted it is over there. One of the things, you know, you see a lot over there is the idea of microdosing. And in fact, while I was writing about cannabis beverages recently, one of the products uh, I came across was a product called Alt. And I'm sure it's not the only product doing this, but it, it's uh, liquid, you know, it's cannabis, uh, THC in liquid form, or I should say emulsified into liquid because obviously it's, it's more than just the THC in there. Uh, and it comes in five uh, milligram, little five milligram capsules that fit in your pocket in a carton, like a carton of cigarettes. 
and people are microdosing through the day. They're taking one milligram at a time. I was just wondering uh, your thoughts on this trend that we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think things like microdosing um, can take a while to come from the coasts and move and move across. And there, you know, other underlying things like how developed is the cannabis ecosystem. But I think Alt hits on a really interesting trend. Is like if if you view these things as as systems that you know that have different life cycles. Part A of the system might be, you know, a Cambrian explosion of cannabis beverage brands, both CBD and THC. Part two of that life cycle might be this notion of, hey, anything can be a cannabis beverage. Mm -hmm. um, and then, it, you know, your, your, your preferred coffee, you know, Pete's coffee may never come out with a cannabis coffee. And yet, if you have alts or the other things within that system, you can make anything a cannabis beverage. So, like, like with all things in new categories, it, it's a function of consumer education and, and the denominator in consumer education is always time. Um, so you can, you can have really, you know, interesting breakthroughs kind of happening, you know, simultaneously. Um, but I, I, I think probably first the really big cannabis beverage companies, whether they're THC or, or CBD, they'll, they'll do a lot of the heavy lifting for the category. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll use a lot of their, of their, you know, you know raised capital to do consumer education and then the ecosystem just matures over time. Like any, I mean, it's no different than the mezcal ecosystem. All right. 10 years ago, nobody knew what a mezcal was. Now everybody knows what mezcal is and it's, it's growing like crazy. There, the one thing you can't rush ever is consumer education and how long it takes for zeitgeist to form in any given consumer category. Right. Well, one of the concerns with the on-premise when, um, like mostly in California, when people started doing cannabis cocktails is you can tell when someone's been overserved or had too much to drink, but the concern is, you know, the, the way that um, the effects hit you differently and take longer and combined with alcohol, it's hard for like a bartender or somebody to know when somebody has had too much. I mean, how, how do you see that um, playing out, assuming we get to more cannabis cocktails or even people, you know, like microdosing on their, on yeah. their way in or before i mean you know I'll, you know i'll just start the caveat like i mean it, it can be really overwhelming for a consumer to mix alcohol with cannabis especially on the thc side um there, there are there are you know, you know some some cbd based cocktails and you're seeing an adoption there and you know because it's non-psychoactive um you know I'm, I'm a little less worried there for it's the right word but even then i i think regulation will step in and 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 do this pretty effectively and the the thing on the beverage side that makes all of this possible really comes down to like physiological adoption curves. So, you know, a, a lot of folks in the industry, myself included, think eventually low dose fact, fast acting compounds in these beverages are what's going to be necessary for them to work well, because everybody's had that experience where, you know, perhaps, you know, you know, you know, a couple of years back, you had an edible, nothing happened. Then you took another edible and nothing happened. And maybe another one. And then all of a sudden your soul leaves your body. <laughs> Yeah. And so, you know, th that's why a maturation of an industry as a whole is so important. You need, you need companies that are not necessarily focused on brand, but are focused on the best emulsification science to make it, to make, you know, it, it faster acting regardless of whether or not it's THC or CBD. And then you also need a co-packing industry to mature. I mean, you, you guys are both BevAlk specialists. If I wanted to make my own seltzer, I could find a co-packer tomorrow. 
if I wanted to make my own whiskey, I could find a, a contract distillery to fill that tomorrow. That ecosystem doesn't exist yet in cannabis. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, I, I would argue the bottleneck actually is co-packing right now. Um, and, and especially when we're in federal prohibition, the amount of licenses necessary and the, and the cost necessary to set those facilities up have largely restricted them to California because it's the biggest market. So I, th I think it's going to take some time for co-packing to move state by state. And that's when cannabis beverage, again, whether it's CBD or THC, will start to get more popular. What, what I will say, make one more point, um, because California and, and the West Coast in general is such a cannabis legacy market, combustibles, vape pens, smoking, et cetera, are always going to be bigger over here. If, if you look at the numbers coming in from like a Massachusetts or Illinois, edibles and, and, and cannabis beverage floats up underneath edibles, much larger percentage because you just don't have a big percentage of the population that was buying from the black market and was, and, and, and was imbibing cannabis before a state legalization. And the modality of an edible, whether it's you know, consumed or, or drank, is probably a better modality for a lot of the new consumers. It feels safer. They don't want to smoke something. Um, so you kind of have this cross-cutting effect. The rest of the country, non-California, is probably going to grow on, on an index basis on edibles faster, and yet all the co-packing is in California, and it can't cross state lines. So one of those two is going to have to give. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you brought up so many good points. I, and I did just want to say, just from my own reflection of looking at all of my friends here in Connecticut and in New England, you know, everybody's driving to Massachusetts right now to buy edibles. You're 100% mm -hmm. right. All I see is edibles, edibles, edibles right now over in New England in terms of legal cannabis. I, that's a very interesting point you made. And you also brought up something else I wanted to ask you about, which was, and another thing I saw, obviously, as I was writing about cannabis beverages recently, check out those stories on beveragedynamics.com. Uh, but yeah, everything's based in California right now because you can't work across state lines, you can't do business across state lines. And we've been dancing around the subject of regulation and federal changes, and we're, we're, we may as well dive right in right now. That seems like one of the most important things that needs to get changed is the ability to work across state lines. Yeah, and and whether or not um, it's you know it's a it's a function. I mean, different things can happen at different paces, right? You know, you know, federal decriminalization would be a, a great thing, but then 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 it's going to kick down to the states. The states are still going to need to figure out their own legislation around what can cross state lines and what can't, because there's there's always going to be a function of you know the, the one of the biggest impetuses for for you know decriminalization is this notion of being able to capture tax revenue, moving things from that world black market into a white market and capturing tax. And I, you know, I, I just caution everybody to, to take a conservative view of even if there were to be, you know, decriminalization legislation at the federal level tomorrow, there would still be some time for us to figure out what interstate commerce looks like. Um, like again, draw, drawing the, <laughs> drawing the line um, of analogy to beverage alcohol, You've been able to ship beverage alcohol across state lines for a long time, and yet it took all the way to like 2005 for the Commerce Clause to get applied to wine, and it still doesn't necessarily apply to spirits yeah. and um, and beer. So these things can take longer than you think, and that's you know, and what what will end up happening as a function of that is the really smart players will start to create kind of modular production facilities in the states that matter, um, with the notion that o over time production scale and shipping will win. Um, and, and even within that, we, we, don't, we don't know what, what the final paradigm is going to be. It could be that like 
I, I use the analogy of, of, of China a lot. They went, they never, they never laid copper lines. They went from no phones to cell phones, you know, to, you know, to, to a large generalization extent. Mm-hmm. Cannabis might, might go from federal, federal criminality to we can totally ship this in the mail, you know, or, you know, or, or, or it might be a process of saying, well, you know, convenience stores and grocery stores have handled regulated products like tobacco and alcohol for a long time. So that's where it belongs. Yeah. There's just, there's a lot left to figure out before this thing can, can explode to the way that everybody's hoping that it will. Yeah, I agree. And talking with cannabis people a lot recently, everyone's saying the exact same thing. And, and you know, one other uh, road bump we haven't mentioned yet is the fact that obviously the pandemic is here. And, uh, you know, the U.S. government is kind of focused on some more important things right now. God bless cannabis, then cannabis, uh, dealing with the uh, pandemic, dealing with the economic fallout from the recession. Uh, all the cannabis people I talk to think that we're going to see some movement uh, legally, probably on the you know, next year, hopefully, as the pandemic continues to subside. And again, to uh, reiterate where you were saying, the point they kept making again and again is it's not going to be a sweeping change overnight. It's going to be a lot of incremental gains over time. Uh, and that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, you brought up the black market, and I did want to ask you, because I keep seeing conflicting reports about how the black market has performed in states that have legalized, and obviously in Canada, which is completely legalized, uh, to what extent uh, is legal cannabis defeating the black market? I mean, I, I think it is. I mean, th- this, this is a place that, you know, someone who is, is, spends a lot more time, you know, for example, like up in Sacramento in California is probably better to, to kind of elucidate on, but... Yeah, like to the extent the black market still exists, that's largely a, a function of last mile. Um, you know, if you used the black market before and, and you haven't, you know, onboarded into some of the delivery solutions, you know, that, that, that might be, it's, it's a factor of convenience. I don't think that like people automatically start from the process of, oh, I want to do something that's illegal. And especially in, in the place where legal is possible, it just, you know, you're going to keep on saying, you know, keep on hearing me saying infrastructure. As the infrastructure builds better and as consumers are educated on the myriad ways they can get legal cannabis, the black market will recede more and more. Um, and, and as, you know, frankly, as legal cannabis gets bigger and bigger, its enforcement mechanisms are going to get better and better. And there's more and more tax revenue at stake. And the one thing you can be sure is that states are pretty good at defending their tax revenue. So they'll get better at prosecuting the black market as more tax revenue becomes available in the white market. Like, it ter- turns out that, like, capitalist forces work pretty well if you just give them enough time. <laughs> so on a practical product note, how have companies been able to improve the flavor or maybe, you know, the flavorless component of some of these products? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's one of the most interesting things to me, um, Melissa. You know, it's wonderful. There's not a one-size-fits-all. Right. Um, and, and, and different parts of the market, the consumers have different needs. So if you're a legacy or base cannabis consumer and you're shopping on like, a, I want the most milligrams bang for my buck, then maybe you don't care necessarily about flavorless or, you know, or, or organic or, you know, all the, all the different buckets. But, but so many of the emulsification providers, you know, one, one of the really good ones that we work with is called Vertosa. They, they can fit they can fit your emulsification to what you're trying to do so if you're trying to make a dealkalized wine with cannabis added back in that's a that's an organic product the, the, you know all those polyphenols and all those tannins are going to interact with whatever emulsification you put in there you just grab one off the shelf it's not going to work very well 
If you want an organic product, you can get that. If you want a completely tasteless product, you can get that. And there are always going to be trade-offs. You might, you might lose a little bit of the full spectrum if you go to full tasteless. But if, you, if, if your product is designed for the, that kind of earthy taste that cannabis gives, you might want that. And your consumers might use that as a signal, as, hey, there's something in here. In the same way that consumers have taught themselves that the burn of alcohol is an important part of, of the sensory experience. So, you know, to directly answer your question, massive leaps have been made, but they don't all point to a single additive in, in the same way that like nobody just wants craft cheese anymore. I mean, craft with a K. They want all these different kinds of, you know, artisanal and, and, and you know, to, to that consumer better cheese. And Velveeta has kind of fallen by the wayside because the consumer said, I don't want a single solution to everything that I'm trying to imbibe. Right. And the funk is part of it. Yeah. I, uh, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean, I mean what, what I will say is, interestingly enough, the consumer speaks in a different way than you imagine. You know, a lot of a lot of beverages that are designed to be low dose, fast acting, um, and 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 good flavored, or I should say, zero flavor. Um, they're finding that their consumer actually cares less about the fast acting, which was their primary thesis going into it, and they do about the zero flavor. Um, and so there's there's still so much feedback happening um, between the consumer and these kind of companies that they're still learning. And anybody who says otherwise is trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. I completely agree. I was uh, sampling some cannabis beverages the other day and I have to, uh, one that really stuck out to me, I, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it, AXO, A-K-A-X-O, A-K-E-S-O, I believe. And they're essentially just water with cannabis in it and uh, flavorless. And it's just, you know, if you're working out, and you want to rehydrate, and you want that um, CBD uh, relaxation quality, there you go, no flavor at all. Uh, you know, and you kept talking about some other uh, technology um, advancement that I wanted to ask you about, just to make sure that we uh, got all of it here, is uh, emulsification of cannabis has uh, improved dramatically in the last two to three years, it seems. I just wondering your comments on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean to, you know, to give you a, a basic background, Essentially, when you emulsify the cannabis, you, you, you advance your body's natural systems for, for how it absorbs it. So it kind of skips all the way forward to, to the form that your gut absorbs well. Um, whereas if you're just putting distillate oil into something, your body has to go through a, you know, a number of physiological processes to get it actually physiologically active. Um, and so that's, that's really, you know, if, if you're just trying to make a 100 milligram edible product and your consumer's super concerned with price, Distillate oil might solve that. If you're trying to make a two milligram product that, that you want your, your consumer to be able to feel those effects much quicker, you're, you're going to want to upgrade yourself to a really high quality emulsification. Right. Well, I'm sure there's a lot more to be said on this topic, but I think we're just about out of time. So I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Carlton. That was really amazing. Thank you, guys. I, I really enjoyed being here. Absolutely. And join us next time when we're going to be talking about rum on, on and off, including uh, interviewing our colleague, Marina, who does a data analysis for us and who also makes a mean coquito that is quite boozy. Maybe we can get her to share that recipe. I believe she shared it on this podcast again, but it's worth reiterating because it's a very, very good cocktail. And again, thank you to all everybody listening. And uh, be sure to check us out in our next podcast on and off. Until then, cheers. 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 All right. Very good. I'm going to hit stop recording.